Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus." What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may, may, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? O Lord, as we come to study your word together, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. May he help us understand it, and may he help us to apply it to our lives for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever been lost in a maze, you may have had the frustrating experience of walking for what seemed like miles, only to rediscover the sweet wrapper that you dropped just after you started off. In spite of all your exploration of the maze's pathways, you've ended up precisely where you started. Something like that had happened to the people Paul, to whom Paul wrote this letter. Instead of living by faith as Christians, they were reverting to the kind of religious lifestyle they'd had before they ever became Christians. Over the past few weeks, we've seen how some people in the Galatian churches were saying that it wasn't enough simply to have faith in Jesus. To be a real Christian, you had, you had to observe the Jewish law as well. You, to do, you had to do all that was required by the Old Testament. You had to have all the badges of Judaism, including circumcision. These so-called Judaizers 
were promoting a religion of Jesus plus. Jesus was important, but you needed more. You needed Jesus plus law-keeping. Jesus plus circumcision. Paul, who had done so much to establish these churches, was appalled. Now that Jesus had come, Judaism was obsolete. The Jewish law showed sin for what it was. But in itself, it provided no solution. All it could do was condemn. But Jesus had come to provide the answer to our sin and to save us from its condemnation. In Paul's words, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The passage we're looking at this evening makes clear just how concerned Paul was for the Galatians. He was suffering personal angst about the situation in the churches there. When he'd been with them, the Galatians had responded warmly to his message. They'd enjoyed real blessing under his ministry, and they'd been utterly supportive. While he was with them, he'd been unwell, but that hadn't bothered the Galatians at all. Instead, Paul says in verse 14, they had received him as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. The Galatians loved Paul. They hung on to his every word. What Paul was suffering from when he was in Galatia was possibly an eye condition. That would make sense of verse 15. Paul writes there, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. The Galatians would willingly have donated their eyes to Paul. That's how highly they thought of him. That's how much they prized his message. But those who were pushing Jesus plus Judaism were now pouring scorn on both Paul and his message. They were setting themselves up in opposition. And in next to no time, the Galatians were turning their backs on Paul and the clear gospel he proclaimed. It was as if Paul had become their enemy. He puts that to them in verse 16. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul was concerned that his preaching had been in vain. Verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul had worked hard in the Galatian churches. But had it all been a waste of time? Paul thought that he had made a real difference to the Galatians, that the gospel had impacted their lives. But now it seemed as if the gospel had simply bounced off them. In this letter, which is preserved for us as part of Holy Scripture, the Apostle Paul discloses the pain he felt. You see, he's a real person writing a real letter to real people in a real situation. It's worth noting that. The Bible isn't a set of abstract theological propositions. It's a library of different kinds of literature, including history, 
poetry, prophecy, and biography, each of which must be understood on its own terms. The writers were borne along by the Holy Spirit. What they wrote was God-breathed. But they were real people. They were writing in a historical context. This letter to the Galatians bears the hallmarks of Paul's personality. Paul doesn't write as an automaton. He's reacting to a real situation with normal human emotions. Paul is perplexed. Why is he so concerned about the Galatians? Well, I'd like to highlight three reasons. First of all, Paul is perplexed because the gospel is about Jesus and what he has done. Paul sees himself as the Galatians' spiritual parent. He calls them in verse 19, my little children. He'd brought them to birth as Christians. At least that's what he'd thought. But now they appear to have given up on the gospel. Paul is having to cope with disappointment and distress. And at the same time, he's having to remonstrate with the Galatians and point out the problem. He says in verse 19 that he is again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. It was hard work for Paul to share the gospel with the Galatians in the first place. And now he's back at square one, having to do the same thing all over again. He desperately wants Christ to be formed in them because the gospel is about Jesus and what he has done. Paul wants the Galatians to have a genuine faith in Christ and so to be changed by his grace into his likeness. That's what he means when he says that he wants to see Christ formed in them. He wants them to share his own authentic Christian experience of which he has written in the previous chapter. Remember these well-known words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Sharing the gospel with people inevitably carries an emotional cost because it's a serious message with a serious focus. And Paul was experiencing the cost, the emotional cost of sharing the gospel with people who had apparently received it and who were now turning their backs on it. You see, the gospel has a definite content. It has a very definite content. Paul regards what is being taught by the Judaizers, Jesus plus law-keeping, not as a slightly nuanced gospel, not as a potential variation on the gospel, but as a denial of the gospel. 
is his reaction extreme? After all, the Judaizers don't appear to be dismissing Jesus out of hand. Presumably, they still regard Jesus as important. Presumably, they still attach significance to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. How then can what they are teaching be a denial of the gospel? And yet, that's what Paul says it is. Turn back with me to chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. There Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul couldn't be clearer. The Judaizers are teaching a different gospel. It's a distorted gospel. It's a contrary gospel. Actually, it's no gospel at all. That's why Paul concludes in verse 11 of our passage, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. The biblical gospel is all about Jesus and what he has done. It points to Jesus as the only Savior, the one who lived the life we should have lived and who died the death we deserve to die. It urges us to believe in him to entrust ourselves totally to him because it's only by believing in him, by relying wholly on what he has done, that we can be made right with God. I love the answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism I learned as a child to the question, what is faith in Jesus Christ? The answer is, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Why was Paul concerned about the Galatians and their law-keeping? Because law-keeping distracts from what Jesus has done. It's all about what we do. It's all about human effort. And we can never, never do enough. If after professing faith in Jesus, we begin to rely on something we are or something we do, to put us in the right with God, then at best we've become seriously unclear as to what the gospel is all about. And that will affect our Christian lives in all sorts of ways, or we've never really understood the gospel in the first place, and we aren't Christians at all. The Apostle Paul here was having to face the possibility that the Galatians 
might never have been converted. They might never have become Christians. The content of the gospel matters. Not every form of teaching which claims to be Christian or which uses biblical buzzwords is the gospel. The gospel focuses on Jesus. It points to his cross as the only means by which sin can be forgiven. Any teaching which obscures these emphases is not the gospel. That's why the reformers of the 16th century protested against Roman Catholic teaching that men and women were justified by faith and by their own obedience. Jesus plus good works. That's still popular in some sections of the church today. Some people go in for Jesus plus religious ritual. Again, that's very popular. It can be Jesus plus any number of things. That's why the message of Galatians is still relevant for us. Okay, we may not see keeping the Jewish laws a particularly attractive way of being made right with God, but there are plenty of other things we may be relying on. Because the content of the gospel matters, Paul was right to feel perplexed about the situation in the Galatian churches. Spiritually speaking, it was a matter of life or death. There's no issue more fundamental than how we can escape God's judgment and be made right with him. Is it by what we do or by what Jesus has done? Any form of gospel plus contradicts the biblical truth that salvation is in Christ alone by faith alone. It impoverishes our life here and now and it imperils our salvation. But hang on, Paul. Aren't you being a bit extreme here? You preached the gospel to the Galatians, and didn't you teach them that if they were once saved, they would always be saved? Why are you concerned about them? If they're Christians, they're Christians. Well, that's a very precious truth. Paul did say to another church that he was confident that where God had begun a good work, he would carry it on until the day of Christ. And that's a truth that we need to hang on to. It's a truth that is very precious to many believers. But it's not a truth which can be applied to people who are obviously deviating from the gospel. Because the only way I can know that I am persevering in my faith is by continuing to hold on to the biblical gospel. That's why each of us needs to ask ourselves, in what or in whom am I placing my trust? Am I placing my trust in Jesus? Or am I also relying on other things? Am I relying on the kind of person I am or the things that I do? We need to check that we are holding to the biblical gospel, that we're holding to biblical truth in biblical proportion. The difference between truth and error is not a chasm 
often it's a knife edge. The gospel is about Jesus and what he has done. And there may be someone here this evening who has never actually responded to the gospel. You may not have heard it very often. Well, let me make clear that the gospel is about Jesus and his cross. And the invitation is that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Paul was perplexed about the Galatians because they were turning their backs on a gospel that was about Jesus and what he has done. But secondly, he was perplexed because the gospel is about freedom. Look with me at what Paul says in verses 8 to 10. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul is pointing out to the Galatians that before they became Christians, they were slaves to their former religion. Life was dictated by religious requirements. Life was all about what to do, what not to do, what sacrifice to offer, what rituals to perform, all to keep the gods on side. By contrast, the gospel offers freedom. It isn't about what the Galatians have to do. It's about what Jesus has done. Salvation isn't something the Galatians have to, to earn. It's something that God gives as a free gift. But now, by observing the detailed requirements of the Jewish law, the Galatians have gone back to a life of religious ritual. They're becoming enslaved again to religious practices. And Paul is perplexed because he sees that as utterly crazy. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul treats Jewish ceremonial laws as being part of the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. It's interesting because it was God who had prescribed these laws for his people under the old covenant in the first place. I think Paul's point is that God ordained though these laws were, they were in their own way burdensome. We saw last week how under the old covenant, the law was like a guardian, like a tutor. God's people were in the infant class. They didn't enjoy the privileges of grown-ups. They had limited understanding. They were under strict discipline. And part of that discipline was the detailed stipulations of the law. But now that Jesus has come, There's no need for all that discipline. Christians are grown-ups. We have a clear grasp of the gospel. We are sons and heirs of God through faith in Jesus. We enjoy all the privileges that entails. We live not by slavish obedience to our written code, but in the power of the Spirit. 
Let me suggest a, a simple illustration. Forgive me if perhaps it's not entirely realistic. It may be a little simplistic. Just imagine Fred has recently come to university in Edinburgh. Up until now, he's led a very sheltered life. When he was at home, his parents insisted that he had to go to bed by 10 p.m. at the latest. Now, there may have been all sorts of good reasons for that rule, but I'm sure there were many times when Fred found that rule burdensome. It was restricting. He wanted to stay up late. He wanted to see his friends. He wanted to watch television. But the rule was there, and he had to obey it. Now he's an adult living independently of his parents, and he no longer needs to follow his parents' rules. He can choose when he goes to bed. He can make his own decisions. You see, he's free. The Jewish law was a bit like Fred's parents' curfew. It was good as far as it went, but it really was burdensome. It was restricting. And now that Jesus has come, it has become obsolete. Christians enjoy a degree of freedom which was completely unknown to God's old covenant people. And to go back to observing laws God no longer asks his people to keep is essentially the same as any other kind of religious drudgery. The gospel is about freedom. Now, I know that's not the popular view of the gospel. Christianity is generally seen as restrictive, as repressive, as the very opposite of liberating. But Paul says that it's non-Christians, those who are not Christians, who are not free. They like to think they're free, but they're not. By nature, we're all slaves to sin. There's a natural propensity within all of us to rebel against God and go our own way. We cannot overcome that in our own strength. We cannot overcome the downdrag of our own sinful natures on our own. We need a new nature. We need the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And only the gospel can give us these things. But that is freedom. Christians are free to be the people God intended us to be. Now, that does mean living under God's authority. It means obeying the moral standards found in Scriptures, as Paul makes clear elsewhere in the letter. In rejecting the Jewish law, Paul isn't advocating license. It's not as if anything goes. But Christians are free to be truly themselves. Obeying God is not bondage. It's what we were created for. A goldfish glimpses a big wide world out there beyond the glass walls of his fish tank. He may think that big wide world offers freedom. But if he were to try to jump out of his tank and land it on the carpet, he wouldn't survive for long because he would be out of the environment for which he was created. And the same is true of us. True freedom for men and women, boys and girls, 
is to live as God intended. The words of an old hymn express it well. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Cause me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer be. The gospel is about freedom, freedom to do right. The Galatians were going back to slavery, to bondage. And Paul tells them that that's crazy. A third reason for being perplexed about the Galatians was that the gospel is about relationship. Note how Paul describes the Galatians' conversion. In verse 9, he, he speaks of their having come to know God, or rather their having come to be known by God. This is in contrast to their pre-conversion experience when, in the words of verse 8, they did not know God. Before becoming Christians, the Galatians didn't know God. What happened when they became Christians was that they came to know him, or rather they came to be known by him. The gospel fundamentally is not about rules. It's about relationship. It's about a restored relationship with the God who created us. I recall many years ago hearing a a good friend tell of how he became a Christian. John was brought up in a family that went to church. They attended a, a local high Anglican church in London. But John, in his mid-teens, was invited along one evening to a local Baptist church. And there he heard the gospel clearly explained for the first time. And he responded there and then. John finished his account with the words, When I left church that evening, I knew God. He was right. As a non-Christian, he didn't know God. But now he did, having come to faith in Jesus. It's interesting how Paul qualifies what he says in verse 9. He writes, first of all, about how the Galatians have come to know God. That's true. That's theologically correct. But it's as if Paul recognizes that more basic than the relationship between the Galatians and God was the relationship between God and them. Every relationship is a two-way thing. But in a relationship between God and human beings, it's God who always takes the initiative. It's he who makes the first move. We love him because he first loved us. Our response is real. Of course it is. But that's what it is. It's a response. It reminds me of something that Dick Lucas of St. Helens Bishopsgate used to say. He used to say, the question for us is not so much, will you accept Jesus? But will he accept you? That's why it's important 
If you're feeling yourself drawn to the gospel, you shouldn't stifle your interest. Since it's God who makes the first move, you cannot presume that you'll ever have a better opportunity of responding to the gospel than you have now. The gospel is about relationship. And the Galatians were losing sight of that. They were getting caught up in their law-keeping. They were so busy doing things that they were forgetting that the gospel offered them the inestimable privilege of knowing the living God. The gospel is about Jesus and what he has done. The gospel is about freedom. The gospel's about relationship. Can I ask you this evening, have you ever responded to the gospel? Have you ever turned from the sin which enslaves you to experience the freedom of the children of God? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus and found mercy at the cross? Or perhaps you made a Christian commitment some time ago, but your Christian life has become something of a slog. It may be that you feel as if you've lost your way in the maze of life. Perhaps almost unconsciously you've adopted some kind of gospel plus. You're focusing on what you can do rather than what Jesus has done. Well, remember, legalism is a spiritual dead end. The gospel is not fundamentally about rules, but about freedom and relationship. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, help us to recognize that we are no different from these Galatians of 2,000 years ago. There's something in all of us that wants to contribute to our salvation. It's easy for us to forget that salvation is secured solely by Jesus and what he has done. Help us to come back to basics, to trust in him and to live by faith in him who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask it in his name. Amen.